the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Rescuers, the show about people who change and save lives. Now, here's your host, Art Brooks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rescuers Radio Show at Faith Talk 1360 and faithtalk1360.com. Also on podcasts, uh, wherever you uh, just just Google the show and you, you'll find a place to find us in podcast as well. We're over a year old now. We had our first anniversary, and uh, we're rolling into into year number two. And I'm happy to have as my guest today Mark Napier, uh, currently the chief of the Cochise uh, County Sheriff's Office, formerly uh, Sheriff of Pima County. Hello, Mark. Hello, Art. It's great to be with you today. Oh, my God. I was going to say it was great to see you, but we're on radio, you know, so... Uh, and uh so i'm so glad that you could do this today we have we have a much to talk about with where uh, where you happen to be located you're you're right on top the border in uh, cochise county and uh, we'll get into that stuff a little bit later but first of all mark uh, i like for our our rescuers radio show audience to to hear about my um my guests by listening to their backstory how how did you get here and, and where were you before this well, I actually I started as a police officer in December of 1981 in Iowa, and I was a police officer there for about six years. Uh, went to Tucson Police Department in 1987. I was there for a little over 21 years. Uh, did a stand as an assistant chief in Glendale, Arizona. And then I thought maybe after 28 years of law enforcement, I was uh, winding it down a little bit <laughs> and took an administrator job at the University of Arizona. Um, a very good fit at a university. I'm kind of a round peg in a round hole in a university environment. And then uh, people came up to me and said, hey, uh, with your background and stuff, you should be the sheriff. And I said, well, I don't want to be the sheriff. And they said, no, you really should. <laughs> and ran for sheriff and was elected sheriff of Pima County and uh, served there for four years. Uh, lost my bid for reelection very narrowly uh, by less than one percentage point and uh, was offered the ability to come down to Cochise County as the chief here. Uh, to run the administration operations of this department, which keeps me in law enforcement in Southern Arizona, which is a blessing. I, I, I love, uh, I've given my whole life to public service and um, this is what I do. It's what I enjoy. Um, so I've been at it about 39 years now. And I think in about three years, I'm going to hang it up and, and probably retire. 42 years is enough. I'm married. Uh, I've got a wonderful wife, Marlene. We've been married for 38 years. Wow. And uh, four children, one of which is a Tucson police officer, and four grandchildren. <laughs> very, very good. Um, so um, you and I have about as many years in broadcasting as you have in law enforcement, I think. So, 
and and I thought it would never go this far, but here we are. Um, so what as current, uh, you know, as as sheriff of Pima County, you had your hands hands full. Now you have your hands full again with the sheriff's office in uh, in Cochise County. And uh, what what are your duties there? What do you what do you think is uh, the main cause right now in Cho- Cochise County? Well, it's a really dynamic question. Um, my main function here is if you could equate it to a business environment, I'm the uh, chief operating officer. I, I manage the day-to-day operations and administration of the department uh, for the sheriff. Uh, so um, he's the elected official. He does sheriff things, and I, I basically run the department. Um, a very dynamic environment, as you point out, we're, we're on the border. I've been in border area law enforcement for 33 years. Mm. Um, there's a lot going on and a lot of it that's in the media is, is politically skewed one direction or another. But I can tell you that in my 33 years in border area law enforcement, I've never seen it quite as bad as it is right now. Hmm. Um, it, it, the challenges that we face in the, you know, on the border region right now are as bad as I think they've ever been. Yeah, it's it's sure playing out that way. Uh, we'll, we'll do more about that in just a moment. But uh, you've also done some uh, a lot of networking and other uh, connections that have helped you in this in this area. I think uh, you've been connected with the uh, you've been chairman of the Drug Gang and Violent Crime Committee of the Arizona Criminal Justice Commission, uh, executive committee of FBI National Executive Institute. You've done so much around law enforcement to stay connected in any way and even HIDA, Right. Yeah, I, I'm currently the chair of the executive committee of the Arizona High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area. I'm on the board of directors of the FBI National Executive Institute Associates. Um, you know, I you have but one life, Art, and um, <laughs> I dedicated my life to public service, and I'm, I want to get the most out of it. My wife jokingly says I'm bipolar, but I'm on a manic episode that never ends. <laughs> and uh, I just have an infectious love for law enforcement, public service. And that tends to get me involved in a lot of things. And I think I should be. Um, You can't have this very narrow focus that only involves what's happening currently in Cochise County, because all these things are interconnected. And as an example, when we interdict a thousand fentanyl pills in Cochise County, we know they're not going to stay here. Mm -hmm. Those are destined for all over the country. So there's a, a great connectivity in law enforcement. Um, And I think that law enforcement executives should be, very broadly involved in the in the larger community, whether it be uh, with social service agencies, professional organizations. Uh, next week, I will be in Reno, uh, Nevada, uh, attending the Western States Sheriff's Conference to, again, network with sheriffs all across the Western United States. I think that kind of stuff is very important, and I dedicate a lot of time and effort to it. You know, a, f- a few weeks ago, I had the privilege of interviewing uh, the head of DPS, and um, he was talking about uh, all of the drug trafficking that's coming through right now. And, and, and it's and the cartels never miss an opportunity. Right. So <laughs> uh, but he he's now refers to the border as the cartel border. Well, I don't think, um, you know, I, I think politics gets messed up in this a little bit, Art, and it should not yeah. um, to me. I am a Republican. I'm proud to be a Republican, but this isn't about politics. It's about public safety. It's about human rights. It's about national security. And those are the reasons that we secure the border. It's not because we hold animus in our heart toward anybody. 
hate does not reside in my heart. I'm a Christian. I'm a humanitarian. So I don't hate doesn't enter into this. But when you look at the lack of security on our southern border, it is undeniable and unimpeachable that the reasons to secure our international border are national security. We don't know who's coming across the border. And that's a problem. Um, the public safety aspect of this is undeniable, and the human rights aspect of this is equally undeniable. What people don't understand, Art, on the progressive side of this is no matter how compassionate our policies might seem on the north side of the border to welcome people in, we could do nothing to ameliorate the conditions on the south side of the border. People coming across the border are having to interact with drug cartels and migrants are being victimized criminally, financially, and sexually at the hands of the cartels who control the south side of the border. So our idea that we're going to open up the north side of the border because we're warm and compassionate, loving people sounds all well and good, but we're leading to extreme victimization mm. of people that are, are simply coming here, most of them, for a better life. And I suspect that if you or I woke up in Guatemala, Honduras, or El Salvador this morning, we might well be trying to come here for all the right reasons. And this is a very complex problem, but the United States needs to get a handle on this. It is, and there's so many uh, arrows coming from this. Uh, you know, you mentioned, uh, you know, that it's not just the drug trafficking, but but there's uh, COVID is at a, 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 you know, I don't know if it's an all-time high, but it's COVID is rising with all the people coming across the border that can't be checked properly. Yeah, and Art, the, the estimates that I've heard that I find to be the most credible is that approximately 10% of the people being tested, and clearly not all of them are being tested, that are coming across the border without proper documentation, about 10% of those people are COVID positive. Now, I'd ask your listeners if any university, any school, any business had a 10% positivity rate we would consider that a public health emergency and that business or that school would be closed, wouldn't it? Absolutely. But yet we allow the border to remain virtually open. Um, so we have a, a new nexus in all of this, which is a public health nexus. Also, I'd like to tell your viewers something they may not realize is that the leading cause of death over the last year for law enforcement personnel have been complications from COVID. Um, I lost a friend um, who was the sheriff in Wayne County, Michigan, which is Detroit, uh, Sheriff Benny Napoleon, uh, friend, colleague, uh, lost his life due to complications of COVID oh, because we can't social distance. We cannot always put on a mask and all those things. So our first responders are at even higher jeopardy now because of what a, a, is a public health emergency. In a prior show, I, I interviewed uh, Angela Harrell uh, with the 100 Club. And she made she made note of the uh, deaths due to COVID in first responders. It, it's a it's a tragedy, and um, you know I believe in this country, Art. I, I I love this country. I I've dedicated my life to public service. I was in the United States Army. Um, I believe this country has an amazing capacity to solve difficult problems. Uh, we survived the Civil War and came out of that with better angels of our nature. Uh, we survived World War II. Uh, we survived the Great Depression, and we met the challenge from John F. Kennedy to put a man on the moon in 10 years. We can do amazing things in this country when we, we decide to. Mm -hmm. And I do not believe for one minute that this border crisis is a crisis that cannot be solved. The problem is there's politics involved, and it's about who gets to blame who, 
uh, who's at fault, who gets to win, and all these political motivations that are really corrupting what we all ought to get behind is the security of our national, our international border for public safety, national security and human rights reasons, and then try to find a way to make our immigration system work more efficiently, and then to try to make it more livable in those countries people are currently fleeing. Nowhere else in the civilized world are would the would literally thousands of unaccompanied children, emphasis children, trying to cross an international border with no adult supervision, no adult oversight, not be considered a crisis. But yet in this country, we engage in semantical games mm -hmm. about whether or not this is a crisis. That should offend everybody. I don't care whether Democrat or Republican. The fact that we should even think in that terms, if this was happening in the Middle East or in Europe, the whole world would be up in arms about it. Mm -hmm. That children unaccompanied by any adult supervision are engaged in this arduous journey and are coming to an international border unescorted by any adult. That is a crisis into anybody's estimation, I would think. Absolutely. And and um, and I, you know, with uh, with. COVID on top on top of all of this, the human uh, smuggling part of this uh, uh, crisis on the border is is escalating at, at unheard of levels. Most certainly is, and if you think the drug cartels are not leveraging the traffic of of children, which they know overwhelms the system worse than adults, to have unfettered access to traffic drugs into this country, you're simply uh, naive. Um, they're doing this very deliberately um, so that trafficking of drugs is easier um, because our system is overwhelmed with taking care of children. Um, so it is very purposeful. Um, if your listeners would like to Google, it's well worth a read. The Rand Corporation uh, a couple of years ago did a study on the profiteering of human trafficking. Now the Rand Corporation is not a right-wing think tank but they estimated that the drug cartels are making maybe upwards of $2 billion a year trafficking human beings. Oh my God. That it may be nearly as profitable for them as trafficking in drugs. Um, so we, we have these people being victimized by the cartels on the South side of the border. And because we tacitly encourage this, we're actually tacitly encouraging victimization of, of human beings. Those are staggering statistics, right there. <laughs> I mean, uh, unbelievable. But uh, and 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 aside from that, everyday life uh, for in law enforcement, regardless of the whether it's uh, local sheriff, uh, county, or or statewide, like DPS, everybody's been involved in uh, domestic violence spikes, uh, uh, drug addiction spiking, and um, it, it's just hard sometimes for uh, those of us not involved day to day with boots on the ground, how alarming some of these statistics are going. Yeah, you know, the one thing that um, struck me when I was in Pima County, I, I um, uh, had all my deputies carrying uh, Narcan, which is the drug to combat overdoses. And I reflected upon my career when I started in 1981, that I never dreamed that my deputies, my personnel would carry medicine on their person yep. like they would a ballpoint pen, a notebook, or a flashlight. Yep. If that does not speak of a public health emergency, I don't know what does. We lost 70,000 people to drug overdoses, more than we lost mm. in car accidents. And yet we're still allowing this uh, trafficking of narcotics into this country 
And on the conservative side, they hope they can arrest their way through the problem. We're, we're never going to arrest our way through the problem. We're going to have to deal with the consumption side, because quite clearly, as long as Americans want illegal drugs, the drug cartels are going to be providing them. And we need to do much better at educating and do much better at providing resources on the prevention side. We can do this. I don't like the defeatist attitude. Art, you may be old enough to remember, I'm certainly, um, to remember when you could smoke cigarettes on the back few rows of a commercial airline. <laughs> yep. <laughs> remember? Yep. Have we changed society? You used to be able to smoke in restaurants and all these things. My parents' generation, everybody smoked. Yeah. My generation, less so. You know what? None of my children smoke, and they think the whole idea is completely ridiculous. <laughs> So we can make a difference. Yes. We just got to commit ourselves to it. I believe in this country. I really do. Yeah. And there was a big swing in education. Uh, first, it was filters coming out to, into the cigarettes. <laughs> and then and then we got to the point where why do it anyway? And uh, we have a couple of generations now that that do think it's rather disgusting, I think. So that's that's a good thing. But um, and I hope that, you know, who knows what's going to happen with the uh, the narcotic uh, traffic coming across of any any kind, and and uh, maybe we'll have a day when everybody can repels that, you know, as well. We we could only hope, right? Well, I, I hope and pray that that's the case. Yeah, we have two people that are addicted to drugs, and I speak sometimes to conservative groups, and I talk about the overdose problem, and sometimes some hardliners will say to me, "Well, sheriff or chief." Well, that's just too bad. If they overdose, they knew they should be not doing that. Mm -mm. And I would tell you this, that across this country, little kids go to school and they are going to third or fourth grade and they, they sit there and they learn their ABCs and their one, two, threes. I assure you, not one of those children, not one of them is daydreaming about becoming addicted to drugs. Exactly. That's not that's not a human aspiration. It's a public health problem. Exactly. So we have to treat it from a public health perspective. And I think when we do that, we'll be, um, we've got to, clearly, we've got to deal with the traffickers and these dangerous substances. They need to be put in jail, locked up. But we've got to deal with the people that have addiction problems that never, was small children, were dreaming about, gosh, I sure hope I can become addicted to methamphetamine when I grow up. Nobody wishes that. Yeah. You know, I was, I was uh, honored to, to uh, be part of the production team that did three very important documentaries here in Arizona. First one was crystal darkness, uh, getting, addressing the crystal meth issue, and um, and the second one was hooked, hooked, tracking heroin's hold on Arizona, and the third one was from prescription to addiction, and um, and we had a hundred person call centers right outside uh, the well the airing of of those three shows, and. Um, and, and they aired, incidentally, on every TV station and, and most radio stations at, at the same time, same day, which has never been duplicated in the country. It's, uh, it's, it's amazing. But still, these 100 uh, people that came from all over the state, these were all people involved in recovery, uh, treatment, and they all wanted to be part of this. And within an, uh, a one-half-hour a show, but over about a three-and-a-half-hour period that the call center was open, they each averaged around 3,000 calls each time. Mm -hmm. And and that, that was probably just a tip of what's going on. Yeah, we need to do a better job. You might remember Nancy Reagan, you know, started to just say yeah. no. Yeah. Um, and we don't have a similar campaign right now. This is your and, brain on uh, drugs. 
when President Trump was in office, that's one of the things I, I got to meet the president on several occasions. And I tried to encourage the administration. We're putting a lot of effort into this war on the border, you know, border resources and stuff. But behind that, we have to be doing some prevention, some education efforts to further engender broader public support of what we're trying to do. And that kind of fell on deaf ears. But we need to re redouble our efforts to encourage children um, before you become addicted, before you experiment yes. to, to not do that. Because once you become addicted, it's a terrible cycle, especially with opiates. Yeah. Um, there's the addictive properties of opiates are so significant. It's really hard to get off of it once you're on it. Well, and, and when, you know, when Oxycontin, uh, hit the, hit the market, uh, that, that kind of was a game changer, right? In that area. Yes, because it's, it's uh, much more potent, uh, much more addictive than, um, the other types of drugs. And it's a transition drug. So unfortunately, some people who have a back injury or something along those lines mm -hmm. have legitimate prescription um, opiate-based painkillers. Well, eventually, they, they take too many of them. They become addicted, and their doctor cuts them off, and then they go into the illicit market for these things. And the, and the problem is that some of these people will buy a pill that appears to be the pill they always take to get relief from their addiction. And unfortunately, because it's not regulated, it's illicit, that pill now is a hundred or a thousand times more potent yes. than what they're used to taking, and they overdose Absolutely. and they die. Yeah. Yeah. And and un until Narcan came out, there was no no quick answer for it. Now there is. But um and, and I always thought, well, that's that's that really isn't taking care of the addiction issue. It's it's it was temporary. But uh, and, you know, who knows what, what happens after that. But um, uh, my, we're, my wife and I are pretty close to this whole issue. She she works. She's the communications director for a nonprofit here in Arizona called PAL, P-A-L. I don't know if you're familiar with them. It's par no, par parents of addicted loved ones. Hmm. And they have talking groups all over the United States. They have like 500 groups that they administer to help them get a grip on, on what they're going through with their kids or adults or, or even themselves. And they train all the facilitators around the country for the, for that. So there is a lot of education out there, but we're not seeing it at the scope. You're right. We're not seeing it at the scope or frequency that we did with Nancy Reagan. And then they, this is your brain on drugs. Any more questions? The egg, the egg in the frying pan, right? <laughs> well, see, but that bespeaks art of, of how effective that was. Yeah. We're talking 20 plus years ago, and you and I both remember the commercials, yeah. right? Yeah. So we, we can, you can remember that stuff, yeah. and we do need that kind of public health uh, campaign again uh, to try to get to people before they become addicted. Well, what is your uh, is the I, I take it that the border crisis is the main issue for you in in um, in Cochise County, correct? Yeah, it, it monopolizes a lot of our time, Art, because um, we're right having um, we're right there. I mean, where I'm sitting at right now is about uh, probably five or six miles from the international border mm. uh, where my office is in Bisbee. I have two offices, one in Benson, one in Bisbee, um, but I'm. Literally, um, when I fuel my vehicle down here in Bisbee, I can see the international border and look right into Naco, uh, Mexico. So we're right here. And the amount of migrant traffic that we're seeing uh, through this um, base of cameras that we have on these uh, trafficking trails is higher. It's just unprecedented. It's off the scales compared to what 
we have seen in the past. Um, so we know there's a tremendous amount of traffic. And the other thing that people don't think about is um, last year in the Tucson sector of Border Patrol, um, sheriffs recovered 181 bodies in the deserts, oh my gosh. Uh, remote areas of our counties. Yeah. And that is a staggering mm. loss of human life. And those are the ones that we find. Yeah. Um, what happens are the, the coyotes will shepherd people into the United States, telling them we're going to get you to Phoenix. And they pay a great deal of money to be shepherded to Phoenix or, or Tucson. And the, the coyotes will get them a couple of miles into the, into the United States and abandon them when they have no water, no ability to care for themselves. And some of these people die either at the hands of violence from the coyotes or because of the environment. It's, it's hot. It's starting to get heat up out here in the desert. Mm. And if you have no water and you've got to hike 20 miles, it, it's nearly impossible to carry enough water yeah. physically to make the journey that you have to do in some of these remote areas. Uh, this is a humanitarian crisis and we've got to get politics out of this. Um, it, it pains me when I think about deputies recovering some bones in the desert, I imagine some man in El Salvador five years ago telling his desperate family, I'm going to go north. I've got to try to do better for us. Oh that family will never know what happened to him. You're right. We will never know what happened to him. And in all likelihood, his, his body, his bones will never be identified. Yep. That's a human rights tragedy. It is. Mark, I'm sorry to say we're in our last 30 seconds of the show, but uh, for goodness sakes, um, you know, it, it is definitely a crisis. I don't know why anyone would not call it that. But um, uh, but it's been great to have you on. You're, you're, you're very uh, thoughtful and, and, um, and talking about all of these issues that are very real right in front of our faces here in Arizona and Texas and uh, wherever else the, the borders are. Uh, I know the Cuban borders are bad. But thank you for being on, Mark. It's, this has been enjoyable and educational. And you are a rescuer, my friend. Thank you, Mark. God bless. Thank you, Lars. Been a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Rescuers can be heard every Thursday at 530 at dot 1360com and faithtalk1360. God bless. Rescuers, Thursdays at 5.30 Arizona time on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ AM.